Someone said, yeah, money talks really loud and clear. Mine's always saying bye-bye. And uh, for some of us, I'm sure we understand that. But we use that phrase really to mean that money has power and influence. Money talks. And of all the things that money says, probably first and foremost, it says, serve me. And I believe this is the most dangerous thing that it says. And I hope that by the end of the day, you'll, you'll see why. If you're a guest today... I want to welcome you, and we're thrilled that you're here. If this is your first time here, we're probably going to live out the statement, yeah, I go to church the first stinking time. It's the first of the year. I make this resolution to go to church, and they do what every church does. They talk about money. This is what I recommend that you do. Take your wallet out and sit on it. And that way you don't have to worry about giving any money because we're not going to receive an offering or anything like that. And, and hopefully by the time I'm done with my introduction, you'll understand how this pastor in this place really deals with resources. The question is why? Why does the church talk about money? Well, let me just give it to you really straightforward and simply because Jesus does. Jesus talks about it. God talks about it a lot. In the scriptures, in the holy word of God, the Bible Uh, There's over 2,000 verses that talks about money and possessions. Many of Jesus' parables talk about money and possessions. Is it because God's in the moolah? Are you kidding me? He's in heaven. Streets are made of gold. Think about it. Our streets are made of asphalt. We could give a flying rip about asphalt, and we ride on them every day, and they're bumpy and they're rough. And God says, I'm going to take the very thing that man loves and I'm going to pave the streets of heaven with it. One of the most valuable resources. I don't think God needs our money. Scripture says in Psalms that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And it's just a metaphor to saying, listen, God doesn't need anything. He's got it all. So God's not, he doesn't, he's not into moolah. But I really do believe this, loved ones. And let, you, know, you know, you can disagree with me anytime you want. Just don't say it. But... Um, you know what, God? God uses money to really to graze up his kids. He really does. How you deal with your money is really a great indicator because the thing about God is, is he says that for God so loved the world that he gave, everything about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is really about giving. Well, I'm not setting you up for giving. I'm going to talk about how money calls us to serve it today. But there's a few things I want you to know about why we talk about it. Some get real spiritual at this time. Oh, pastor, why are we talking about money? I mean, why don't we focus on Jesus? Now, just preach the word. This is the word, loved ones. And, and there's some people that get really spiritual. I don't have any bones to pick with these people because there's people that say, well, just preach through the word. Every book, every but we're going to preach through the gospel of Mark for, uh, in just about a month, five to six weeks. So we're, we're going to do that. We're going to go through the gospel of Mark and just walk with Jesus through the word. But some people get really uptight about topical teaching. And I don't understand that because did you know that Jesus only taught topically? Did you know that Paul only taught topically? There is no exposition of the scriptures. They took topics and they talked about them. Well, but pastor, you know, they they made the New Testament. I know they did, but they could have taught through the book of Isaiah and just, you know, we could have seen Paul's exposition of it, but he took topics. And so one of the topics that I'm going to take in the next few weeks is the topic of money. Now, it's interesting. I was trying to figure out, when was the last time I talked about money? So if you're new here or a guest or you've come 
within the last year, you know I don't talk about money. As a matter of fact, I never have hardly in this church. Used to be when this church was about 40 people and we'd have about 15 or 20 come on a Sunday night when we had a Sunday night service. Uh, this, this was the, the bet that we had. Would pastor receive an offering tonight? Because if I didn't, I would buy ice cream for everybody. Truth is, that happened about four or five times. I don't think I ever bought ice cream for those poor people. But um, that was kind of the joke because I, I always forgot to receive the offering. Because I just tell you, something, money is really important. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but money is important, but it's, it's never been the forefront of this church or this pastor. Even when there have been times we've been in dire straits and needed money. One of the reasons, one of the things I thought about coming to this church when they offered me the position, I went home and I really had to think about it. Because after beginning to understand some of the financial pressures of this place, I thought, man, do I really want to go and deal with that? And my bigger thought, my greater fear, my most insecure moment came was, I don't want to be the guy that could potentially be charged with closing the doors of this place because of its high debt and its low income. And the fear that, man, if I come and nobody likes it and nobody comes, I get to be the guy they foreclose on. And there was this really great insecure and fear. But I made this determination. I told God, I said, God, if I go, I will not talk about money out of a point of need. This church will never hear me, and this church has never heard me talk about money when it needed money. Okay? And because I just felt like, you know, that, that was kind of one of my litmus tests for God. Because he says the one, the one area God says to test him in is money. And I said, okay, God, if I go to this church, then I'm going to test you, and I'm also going to trust you. So even this morning, we were kidding before as the council comes in, the part of the leadership comes in and prays for me. One of them goes, you know, I've been here since 2007, and I can't remember you ever talking about money. And the other one goes, yeah, it is good. We're going to get something fresh. I can't remember the last time you talked about money. So if you're our guest or you've been here a short time, it's, 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 this is not the thing that we that runs this church. I mean, it does, and it's very important. I don't want to diminish the importance of money, but I want you to hear this, because this is true. I'm talking about money for your benefit, to help you, to help you move forward, to help you grow in this, what, what uh, Corinthians calls this grace of giving. But I'm going to do it differently than most churches do, because when most churches talk about it, they focus on the giving. I never, well, I shouldn't say never, very seldom do I ever talk about giving without talking about other elements of resource and finances because a lot of us have to grow in those as well. So for the next few weeks, that's what I'm going to do. And if you say, well, Pastor, how do we really know this church that maybe, you know, you want something or we need something? I'll just tell you, listen, this is, I, I haven't told you, I haven't given you an update. Well, let me tell you what the harvest offering is to date. Highest it's ever been, $81,000. Yeah. <clears throat> Hear me, that's almost $10,000 more than last year. 
and we've already made, you know, we talked about this, 40% of it's going to go to the Citizens Church to start in Oakland. I mean, excuse me, 50% of it, which is $40,000, which is going to give them, and we'll set it up in benchmarks so you don't think we're just giving $40,000 away, but we set it up with our denomination. We control it, but we are here to help and to resource, plan to give new churches. You gave that, really, in most of it in one Sunday, but it still continued to come in. We don't need money. If I gave you the financial sheet, and if you came to our annual business meeting, you'll see that we finished in the black big time this year. So just I, I just say all of that to say this isn't some kind of money grab on the Creekside Church part or this pastor. We don't need it. You do. Because every one of us need to grow in this grace of not only taking care of, but stewarding our money and growing in it. See, the gospel, the good news is what God acted in Jesus Christ to save us. He has come to us to rescue us, to reconcile us to himself, redeeming us and giving us new life. And we become new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so many of us, most of us in this room, have experienced that grace. But when he comes to redeem us and to rescue us, he wants to do every area of our life. And that's why the Bible, it doesn't just talk about all of this high and lofty spiritual, you know, woo stuff that you don't really, you know, it sounds good. But this Bible is meant to be very, very, very practical. I just have to tell you, and this probably drives some of you crazy. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really spiritual, but my spirituality is so practical. Because I figure... That if, when Jesus, if Jesus came as a man, he wanted me to be able to see God as a man, as God-man, so that I could walk with him and understand what he was doing on this earth. And it's the same way with, with Mary. It's, just a, there's, it's a spiritual union, but you better do some practical things if you want it to work. Your money is very spiritual. But if you want it to work, you better do some very practical things with it. You know, you can't just pull out your wallet. Oh, God bless it. Now, if you watch a lot of preachers on TV, you'll believe you can do that. Oh, here's a buck. Give me ten, you know. And uh, we'll talk about that some other time, I get, unless I digress. But listen, when Jesus comes and he rescues and redeems and saves you, it's every area, every ounce of who you are. And what you do. There's a legend that when Constantine was converted in the fourth century, he required all of his soldiers to convert. He marched them into a river in a mass baptism. But he also required them as they went into this baptism to hold their swords over their heads so their swords wouldn't be baptized. What he was saying was this, you belong to God, but your sword belongs to me. Now, could you imagine if Creeksiders, when they go into the tank, they come in and we get ready to baptize them. And before we baptize them, in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they raise their, no, you're not baptized, you're not getting this. Uh, but sometimes we have a tendency to live that way. But Jesus says, I want, to, I want to baptize. I want to immerse all of you into me, into my life. So why is this thing about money needed to be talked about? Well, because money is important. I suppose it's really important if you like to eat. You know, you've got to have some. So I'm going to talk really in the next few weeks, four or five weeks. Uh, you need money to provide, number one, for your current needs. Put food on the table, roof over your head. 
So we'll talk a little bit about spending. Uh, you need money to provide for your future needs. Um, you know, so many of us do fine financially until the car breaks down or until the kids get sick or something happens. The washer and dryer break down. And then we're so unprepared. So we're going to talk about the importance of saving and investing for your future needs. And then we're also called, listen, and this is where a lot of us don't understand this. Remember, God leaves you on this earth for his high purposes. Not yours. For his. So you need money to provide for other people's and other things' needs. Ephesians 4.28 is very clear about that. That it says, go work so that you can help others in need. Does that mean we just kind of bankroll everybody and help? No, 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 no. We're not talking about some kind of Christian communism. But there comes times, like what we do when we receive this harvest offering, is we do that because we want to spread the kingdom. We want to help people. We want to support missionaries. We want to be a blessing. And we want to be those, that kind of a church, that isn't so poverty-stricken, poor of mind and spirit, that we can't do what the Bible says to give something to help those in need. So money is important. But you have to know this, loved ones, money is not the most important thing of life. Let me just read to you what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12. And I want to, inv- I want to invite you, listen, I want to invite you to, if, for those of you, sometimes, you know, we always have the notes with the scriptures on it and up on the screens. I want to encourage you this next year to bring your Bible. Smell it, feel it. I just love it. You know, people say, oh, Pastor, why don't you preach from an iPad? You know, and I, I've got an iPad, but I, go, I love my Bible. Why don't you get your books on Kindle? Because I love to write in and mark in them. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bible on Sunday so you can feel it and break it in and get it all dirty and underline it, mess it up. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. He says, one of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw Jesus answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Well, Jesus answered and said, this is the most important. Listen, Israel. Listen, all who are listening. The Lord our God, he is one Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So what's more important? It's to love God with all you have, your whole being, every part, every ounce of you. It's to love people. Jesus was very clear that this is the most important thing of life. You can pile up money. You can get things. But if you don't love God and you don't love people, guess what? You're going to ultimately be very, very poor. So when money talks, what does it say? Well, on on, on most of it, it says, it's got this little phrase. Somewhere it says, in God we trust. But I don't know how much of that's really true. Only you can determine whether or not you really trust God with your moolah, with your cash, with your currency. But this is really what it says. I think it says, serve me. It says, when money talks, it says, serve me. See, money's neutral. It's neither good nor bad, but it's a tool. And in another sense, money is not neutral at all because money is dangerous. It's seductive. It can suck us in, and it can say things like, serve me, love me. It has power. And actually, God warns us. Jesus warns us about this. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. 
Jesus is in his big talk on the big mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Well, because moth and rust will come in and destroy where thieves break in, they can steal it. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves, they're not going to break in and steal because you've got these things laid up in heaven. Now get this verse. This is really important. Verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Let's skip down to verse 24 and 25. It says this. Jesus continues and he says, No one can, can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and or money. See what it says? It says, you're going to be a slave to me. Serve me, serve me, serve me. And it really does compete for our allegiance with God. But Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two gods. You have to give your ultimate allegiance to one. Everyone has something that is at the top of the pyramid, don't they? I mean, think about this, ladies. Are you willing? As far as you're concerned, how many women can your man really love? Remember when I talked about 97% fidelity some time ago? And no, you didn't go for that. You said, I'm three, five, seven, I don't care. I want 100%. Guys, you might have been a big Don Juan and, you know, hit the dating scene and ran, ran the track with a lot of ladies every other weekend. But, man, when you got that one, the right one, you said, she's the top of the heap. She's the one. She's the babe. She's the hottie. That's the one. And, 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 and you said, I'm not going to share her with anybody. See, there's only room at the top for one. And many Christians, they try and serve God both with their money and serve him. But you'll notice here that money's capitalized. It's a deity. It's an idol. It's a master. And when you love money, it really does become your God, becomes the master of your life. So what do you treasure? See, Jesus warns us very clearly that material things are what? They're short-lived. They're only here for now. They can be destroyed. They can be stolen. And rather than investing our lives in what isn't going to last, Jesus advised us to invest in the eternal and that which will last forever. So what are treasures in heaven? What lasts forever? Well, there's really two things that are going to be in heaven. Maybe three. Number one, there's going to be God. Number two, there's going to be you if you know Jesus. And anybody, there's going to be people. And the third thing is going to be his word. Heaven's going to be run on the basis of this book. It's God's expression of who he is, what he does. So what do you invest in? You invest in your relationship with Jesus every day in every way. You invest in the people around you. Not just you're starting with your family and then the concentric circles out, that God gives you the opportunity to invest and to touch them. And then in the Word, invest in the Word for your life. <clears throat> because that will, that will teach you, that will show you how to live. What do you treasure? 
You see, Jesus makes this statement, it's in, and sometimes we miss that. But it's so true. Jesus says your heart will follow your treasure. Isn't that interesting? A lot of us think that, no, 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 Pastor. My, my treasures are going to follow my heart. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. It's not what Bible says. It's not what Jesus said. And if you watch people, you'll begin to see that wherever the treasure is, there's a gravitational pull toward that. And Jesus never wants us to forget that the gravitational pull of those who become Christ followers Total allegiance has to start, numero uno, with him. Because money is going to go, serve me, serve me, serve me. Put your allegiance to me. That's why so many people, what do we see? When I see people that don't come to church for a while, you know what I always hear? Oh, pastor, I'm so busy. Oh, really? What are you busy with? Oh, the kids and the job. Just killing me. I've got to have one day off. Oh, really? Okay. What is that saying? Well, sometimes it says your kids are your little gods. Or, if it's always the work thing, then your work is your God, which ultimately says what? That money is your God. Because why do you work? Very few of us do it for this nice little hobby. And, this, and if you do, I would just ask you one question. Okay, show up for the next month without a paycheck. Well, it's not that much of a hobby. Come on, you know. Let me read another passage to you. First Timothy chapter 6. Paul's talking to his son in the faith. He's mentoring him. And he's giving him all of these understandings of how to be a better preacher and pastor and leader. And he starts in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And he's talking about, listen, he's talking about doctrine here. Doctrine is really the foundation of what we believe, key beliefs. And he says, teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches other doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching, sound there is the word healthy. If they don't agree with this healthy, sound teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited, understanding nothing, but having a sick interest in disputes and arguments over words. That's why I don't argue much with people. It doesn't do any good. This is the truth. I could be a little bit wrong. I'm probably not very far off. I'm not always right, but listen, I'm not far off. and So I'm not going to argue with people. Don't argue with people. You're not going to win. Share the truth. Be willing to be wrong. It just, it just takes away from what the gospel is all about. Because from these come envy, quarreling, slanders, evil suspicions, constant disagreement among men, whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Now think about that. <laughs> we, we had a staff retreat this last week, and I just, I'm not kidding you, you, you hear me, and I, I, I don't want to sound negative. But we were watching TV, and we're flipping through the channels one evening, and guess what we run into? A preacher. And I have to tell you, I, I, I don't want to talk bad about him. And I'm not, I'm not going to talk bad, but it was interesting. We were all laughing because this preacher, and he is well-to-do. He had the nice French cuffs and the nice, you know, cufflinks and big church. And, you know, he took, this, he, took this, he took this passage from that's really talking about salvation, and ultimately he talked to his people and said, God doesn't 
Now, this was his bottom line. God doesn't want you poor. God wants you rich. Now, hear me. I believe God wants you well-to-do, but not rich. Now, he doesn't care if you're rich. I'm getting ahead of myself here. But, but he, see, Paul says here, he says, listen, don't see the gospel. Don't see godliness as a way to get rich or to be materially set. That's not what it's about. It's about sound, healthy doctrine because he says, godliness with great gain or godliness with contentment is your greatest gain. And now don't check out on me here because I'm, I'm probably making some of you mad because you're rich. And I am not against being rich. You've heard me say it every year I talk about money. I want every Creeksider to drive a, to drive a Beamer as long as you don't really care that you have to drive a Beamer. And number two, you can afford it. Or a be- I don't care whatever car. You know, if you like Pintos, drive a Pinto. But just, you know, whatever you want to drive. But, but don't see God as your gain to whatever it is you want. This is what he says. Because of what I just said, sound, healthy doctrine is this. We didn't bring anything into this world. And guess what? We're not taking anything out. But if we have food and clothing, we can be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires will plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root to all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So Paul warns here about the love of money. He's not warning against rich, being rich, okay? Look at me, everybody. Did you hear that? He's not warning against being rich. He's warning against loving and desiring and pursuing and being driven by being rich. Paul redefines wealth. Paul says that real wealth is godliness with contentment. Real wealth is what you are as a person, not what you have. You are a rich person when you have Christ-like character and you live to be content with where you are and what you have. By this measure, there are a lot of rich people that are poor and a lot of poor people that are very well off and rich. In verse 7, Paul says that we brought nothing into this world. Guess what? We're not taking anything out of it. You will, I've never seen this, and I've probably done, I don't know, I'll say 120 funerals. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. Uh, somebody wrote to Ann Landers this. thought you might enjoy this. Dear Ann, my Aunt Emma was married to a tightwad who was also just a little bit eccentric and strange. He made a good salary, but they lived frugally because he insisted on putting 20% of his paycheck under the mattress. The, men didn't, the man didn't trust banks. The money, he said, was going to come in handy in their old age. Well, when Uncle Ollie was 60, he was struck with cancer, and we had to use a lot of money for that. Toward the end, he made Aunt M promise in the presence of his brothers that he would put the money that he had left and had stashed away that he would place it in his coffin so that he could buy his way into heaven if he had to. You know that won't work. Well, they all knew he was a little odd, but this was clearly a crazy request. Aunt Aunt M did did promise to do that, however, and assured Uncle Ollie's brothers 
that she was a woman of her word, and he would do as he asked. So the following morning, she took the money, about $26,000, to the bank and deposited it. When Uncle Ollie died, she wrote a check and put it in the casket. <laughs> this is a true story. Our family has laughed about it for years since. See, Aunt M understood something very clear. You, you really can't take it with you. and You can't buy your way into heaven. and You can't beg your way into heaven. You deal with that right here and now. What is important, what you can take is relationship with God and people. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, he says, if we have food and clothing, man, we can be content with that. Obviously, Paul didn't, hadn't heard of cars and boats and motorcycles and stereos and cameras and computers and high-def flat screens and iPhones and iPods and iPads. Or I'm sure he would have enlarged his list. Okay, maybe not. But how many of you, like, we, you, know, you just kind of have a tendency to go, ooh, oh, I like my stuff. I struggle to be content with just the necessities and needs of life. Isn't it easy to say, ah, oh, I want more? But where does the lack of contentment lead? Verse 9, Paul says that, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. What he's saying here is the desire to get rich is kind of a dangerous desire for a lot of people, not for everybody. It could be a trap. It can lead people to ruin and destruction. How many of you ever wished you were just filthy, stinking rich? Oh, about every day. See, a lot of us, we really do. We really believe that money will, sat, will settle and satisfy all of our issues. But I want to suggest that's a dangerous desire. Notice the front of the Contra Costa Times a little over a week ago. We have a winner. Guess what they won? The lottery. Yeah. Millions and millions and buco bucks millions. Did you know? that the lottery is not necessarily a good thing to win. And I know I can't convince you of that. Because I'll tell you the truth, I'd love, if you gave, listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, you give me a winning ticket, I will take it in. So I'm not like, you know, I'm not so much against it that I wouldn't, you know, take the money. But listen to this. Big winners share their lesson and risks of the big uh, Powerball win. A $365 million Nebraska Powerball win lottery was held as the drawing for a 500 million powerball jackpot approaches on wednesday november 28 2012 past winners of mega lottery drawings and financial planners have some advice stick to a budget invest wisely learn to say no and be prepared to lose friends while riding an incredible emotional roller coaster past winners of mega lottery drawings and financial planners have had, have had some sound advice. Stick to a budget, invest wisely, because it's going to be up and down. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be guilt and mega distrust. Sandra Hayes, 52, said, I had to adapt to this new life. I had to endure the greed and the need that people have, trying to get you to release your money to them. It caused a lot of emotional pain. These are people who you've loved deep down, and now they turn into vampires trying to suck the life out of you. 
There's two-time winner of New Jersey Lottery who squandered uh, her $5.4 million fortune. A West Virginia man who won $315 million, uh, a dec $315 million a decade ago said the windfall was to blame for his granddaughter's fatal drug overdose, his divorce, hundreds of lawsuits, and the absence of true friends. The National Endowment for Financial Education cautions those who receive a financial windfall, whether from lottery winnings, lottery winnings, divorce settlements, cashed out stock options, or family inheritance, to plan for their psychological needs as well as their financial strategy. The Denver-based nonprofit estimates that as many as 7% of the 70% of the people who land sudden windfalls lose that money within several years. I've seen a number of documentaries on lottery winners that win buco millions of dollars and within 10 years they have nothing to show for it. As a matter of fact, they're worse off after those years than when they before when they were just working and making a minimal amount of money. Never think, loved ones, that money is ever going to be the answer to your issues in life. It can sure help, but it's not the answer. See, the Bible challenges our sacred cultural and Christian notion of the American dream and the church dream. Like I say, if you watch Christian TV, and this guy we saw was polished and smooth and sweet and wonderful, but his doctrine of what he was preaching about was way, 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 way off. I'm going to step on a few toes now, so you might want to scoot your feet in. See, the American dream is having enough to do whatever you want. Did Jesus come to put a chicken in every pot and a BMW in every garage? No, I don't think so. Does Jesus want you to be wealthy or holy? Does Jesus want you to be rich or content? Luke 11, excuse me, Luke 18, 24 and 25 says this. How hard is it for a rich man or a rich person to enter the kingdom of God? Exclamation point. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those verses like these, and there's others, ought to make us stop and rethink our notion of the American dream and our focus on money. Am I saying it is wrong to be rich? Underscore this, highlight it, absolutely not. But the love of money is a sin. Having money is not. God graces people. God blesses people. And there are people in this church that have been well-to-do. And I don't know if they're rich, but they're, they seem to do pretty well. But they give and they share and they help others with it. And ultimately, that's what God calls us to do. God, call, God may choose to entrust you with great financial resources. It is not a sin to have money. It's only a sin to love the money and make that the focus of your heart and your life. Don't misunderstand when I say the Bible challenges the American dream. Don't think that God is against you having resources. God doesn't want you poor. God doesn't want you miserable, but he does understand this place that money plays in your heart. God is for you. He has your best interests at heart. God sent Jesus to give you 
Scripture says in John 10.10, a new, a fresh, and abundant life, life to the full. But it may not always equate to what we think we should have. I love what John Wesley's advice was, who was a great, the guy preached thousands of sermons on horseback, helped lead the English revival, 1700s, and he said this, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can, and spend the rest. And that's probably about as sound as you can get with financial advice. Now in verse 10, Paul says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Money is not a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of it. Perhaps the most insidious, insidious danger of loving money is what it can do to our faith. People eager for money can wander. And like I say, they can become so focused on the pursuit of things and the American dream and having more that they lose sight of their need to be continually engaged with not the blessings of life, but the blesser of life. I have a friend, one of my great friends since I've been here. He works with my investments. I didn't have a whole lot to invest, but when he started working with it, he said, I'll do this under a couple of conditions. That you don't look at the stocks and the investments all the time because you'll go crazy. He says, what I want you to do is not to look at it, not to worry about it, not to think about it. I want you to focus on doing what you do best. And it's not money. It's preaching, doing the ministry. And this dear friend has been doing this now for probably close to 17 or 18 years. Now I'm far enough along that I'll stay, I'll get a little sneak peek. Remember that crash we had so many years ago? I looked at that statement that I got and I go, oh, Jesus. Oh, what did, my, what did he say? Don't look. Because I'll worry. Because you know what? If you look at that too much and you focus on that, man, you'll be such an up-and-down basket case mess. But I trust this person with everything that I've got, period. And I don't look very often. I mean, I'll check the statements now because I'm in a different place in life. But I don't worry about it. Because you know what? God is using the gifts of this person to help and to bless. But ultimately... I can't worry. i got to focus on what I'm doing here. And it's the same with you, loved ones. Invest. Do all of that. But don't let that ever say to you to serve you and get you off track. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Why does he say that? Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The Bible contrasts the love of money with the love of God continually. If you love the Lord, guess what he's saying? You can be content. What's the time? Okay. I love talking about this stuff. Are you all right so far? Well, I've I, I got to get through this, so... I'm not going to continue it next week because they've got other things. But what I want you to see, see, money says, love me, serve me. That's why God says greed is idolatry. Colossians 3.5 says this, put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Notice how he puts these together. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. What's idolatry? It's worshiping something other than God. It's putting something in God's place at the top of the heap. And that can be a lot of things. I think in the American culture, the two things that get placed up there the most are number one, or number one, children, and number two, money. You know, we, 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 we treat our children like little gods. And then secondly, money becomes a god. Greed simply says, I want, I want, I want, I want more, 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 more. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that it's not, you know, I, I was telling you about my, my, my friend who works with my investments. That's important. Um, I, I tell people, I says, I'm really not planning for retiring. I'm not planning to retire. I just want to make sure that I can. Big difference. Nothing wrong with retirement. But I see what I see in churches all the time is I see these pastors that don't plan for retirement, and they get stuck, and then they begin to kill these churches because they lose whatever it is that keeps them going, and the church begins to dwindle because the pastor becomes irrelevant, but they have to stay there for a paycheck. But they're too old, and they haven't done anything in ministry. Nobody's going to hire them. So I want to make sure when I talk, so, so you don't think I'm being disingenuous, I am preparing for retirement. No, no, I am preparing to be able to retire. Whether I do or not, I don't know. That's not my ultimate goal but I don't want to be staying here at Creekside and you have to feel sorry for me. And Oh, poor pastor, we can't get rid of him. <laughs> you know, he's such a loser. But the poor man's been here for God knows how many years, and there's 20 of you sitting around here trying to support me. I don't want that. And I know that's kind of funny, but it's true. I mean, I deal with it all the time. That's one of the biggest deals we deal with in our denomination. What do we do with pastors that they're dying, but they're killing the church, but they need the money? So I'm, hear me, there's balance to everything I'm saying. Prepare. Just don't make it your idol. Don't be greedy. See, if I had a shovel up here, you know, a shovel is simply what? It's a tool. It is neither evil nor good, but it can be used for both. That shovel could be used in a country to dig a well so that people could get fresh water and experience life. Or if I was a good fellow, what I could do is take that shovel and whack somebody alongside the head and then bury it, uh, dig a hole and bury it and put them in it. See, it's, it's, it's either or. It's good or bad. I make it that. It's a tool. Some of you have seen good fellows, haven't you? Sinners. And, uh, and so what you do with those tools, money is simply a tool, and you will use it for good, or you can use it for bad. So when we get greedy, when we're always wanting more, we're never content, and we're never sharing and never giving, and don't use it God's way to help and to be a blessing, we become idolaters. Second thing is money can be a stumbling block to Jesus. Listen to what happened with Jesus in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 16. This is this guy comes, this, this rich, and, and notice, he's, he's rich 
He's young, and he's a big dog. And I think those things are underscored. Jesus, this guy comes sliding up to Jesus. Just then, someone came up and asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? And the guy says to him, there's only one who is, Jesus is the only one who's good. If you want to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he asked. You see, we're always trying to angle. I love, I love people. It sounds like me, you know, just trying to, well, 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 what's the bottom line? So Jesus says, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And you just got to see this guy with a really nice little smile. He's young. He's, he's rich. He's together. He's probably got a couple of camels in a, in a, in a two-camel garage that overlooks the Sea of Galilee. And he looks at Jesus with this great smile and polished sandals. I've kept all these, the young man told him. What do I still lack? Looking around at his friends, and Jesus goes, you want to be perfect? Go sell your belongings and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard that, command, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. I don't like that. See, this story is really clear. It's warning that money can keep you from the life of Jesus. No one can serve two masters. Jesus challenged this young man to choose between your things and Jesus and following him. To forsake the money idol and to follow the blesser. But he couldn't do it. Now hear me. Look at me. Get this. This is the only person that Jesus did this to. Okay? This was not common for Jesus to tell everybody to go sell their possessions. The reason Jesus probably did it with this man is because he was rich. Because he was young. And he was full of pride. And he trusted and thought that he could do something to secure or to procure eternal life instead of just simply following Jesus. And so Jesus called his number. And I don't know who Jesus does that with because it's only one time in the gospel. But it could happen because he knew money had this guy. And it prompted Jesus to later say these words, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And he's talking about the implausibility of the rich following him and the impossibility of a man getting salvation on his own aside from Jesus. That verse should just cause us to pause a bit. How many of you are rich? A lot of us in this room probably wouldn't consider ourselves rich, but most of us by the world standards are. We are in the upper 10 percentile of the world. That means 90% of the world, almost 6 billion people would look at us and go, you are rich. And I'm talking to the poorest person in this room. And that's why it's so, so easy to be seduced by this thing called money, possession. See, perhaps the greatest danger of loving money 
is that it can keep you from keeping Christ first and loving him because it's always going to say, love me, serve me, pursue me. But God talks. And what does he say? He says this, love me. Money says serve me, but God comes and he says, love me. Mark chapter 12, 29 through 31. What is the most important thing? Jesus answered, listen, listen, O Israel. Listen, listen, O Creekside. You shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment. And then he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all my heart, mind, soul, body. Get rid of any false gods. Put me first. To love God first, to love God with all you've got, includes loving him with your money. This means that all I have is God's. My house is God's. My car's. It's God's stuff. We don't own anything. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, It's the earth and everything in it, the world, and its inhabitants belong to God. God owns everything and gives us some to manage for him. One of the first issues that Christians need to settle when it comes to money and possessions is that God owns everything, and we are managers. For his stewards. So let's do something fun. Take out your wallet or your purse. You think I'm kidding. Who do I trust? Nobody. This is mine. No, I'm just kidding. Gwenda, I trust you. Here's mine. Give get, You don't have one? You, you got a money clip? You got a wallet? Amen, sister. And I got a son. <laughs> While you're getting your money out, I'm, I want you to do this and give it to somebody next to you. Your money clip or your wallet or whatever. You thought I was kidding you. You guys are so stingy. You are so fearful. Now, listen, if, remember what I said earlier about if you're at your first time here? Make sure you're still sitting on yours, okay? And this is the Creeksiders. First timer, you keep sitting on it. As a matter of fact, I'll just tell you a story that, you know, when I, you know how I know I'm really not so into money? And I mean, I really never have been. I really like it. I mean, I want it. I want more and everything. But get this. This is, this is I, I, I don't know. I don't, I think. We had our grandson spend the night. He was up all night, so I don't think Trina's here. I don't think my younger son is here. And if he is, he can talk to me later. But um, I had this great Honda paid for. had 14 years. I didn't put a dent in it. You know what happened like three weeks ago? My son was driving it, and he totaled that sucker on 680. And when Trina called me, she goes, I, Jamie's been in a big accident. I go, how's my car? No. No, I, 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 I didn't. I didn't. I, did, I promise I didn't. 
I just said, how's Jamie and everything? And she goes, fine, how's my car? <laughs> and, uh, but you know what? What's really, what was kind of just relieving, and, and my son actually sent me a text later, and he said, you know, Dad, it was just, it was just so incredible the way you handled that. And what I realized, I think, at that point, and um, it's just, you know what? Things are things, and they just don't mean a lot. Did you notice that? And when you can just let stuff go, you just go so free. Does everybody have somebody's wallet now? Okay, we're going to receive an offering. And, um, <laughs> and what, I, what I want you to do is to give like you have never, like you've always wanted to give. That's why I hope our guests are still sitting on their wallet. I'm just kidding. You can give it back to them. Help yourself. But uh, isn't it kind of hard to trust somebody with our money? Because it, it took me almost forcing you to give it up. So we have to ask this question, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with my money? We're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. Lord, what do you want me to do with my car? What do you want me to do with my house? What do you want me to do with my goods? In her book, Nine Steps to Financial Freedom, uh, world-renowned financial advisor Susie Orman wrote about a time when she was in Mexico and there was this merchant who was selling parrots. They weren't in cages. They were just sitting there and they didn't fly away. And so Susie was really fascinated by this. And she says to the merchant, do those birds just love you so much they have no desire to fly away? And he laughed and said, no, I train them to think that their perches mean safety and security. And when they come to think this, they naturally wrap their claws around the perch and they don't want to release it. They keep themselves confined. And it's as if they've almost forgotten they know how to fly. She continues to write in her book. and She said, this light bulb went off in my head. We're so much like those poor parrots. We've been taught to clutch our money as tightly as we can as if our money was the perch of our safety and security, just like those parrots. And so many of us have forgotten how free we really are. With or without the perch. See, the more afraid we are, the tighter we hold on, and the more we trap ourselves. When she realized this, she asked the merchant how, uh, how he could go about unteaching this behavior to the parents. And he said, oh, that's easy. You just show them how to release their grip, and then they can fly as free as they want. And I think, loved ones, that that's why this series becomes so important. There's so much freedom in knowing that all belongs to God. When the, dryer, when the dryer breaks down, the roof leaks, car gets totaled, whatever happens, guess what? It's all God's. And we don't do this, okay, well, God, it's all yours. You take care of it. We, we, but we, we learn to do the right things in the right way. At break of day, in hope we rise, we speak your name.